guys are enjoying uh, Keys to Life. I know we can uh, we can tend to ramble a little bit, but I think it's good rambling. I think it's uh, we're not very we're not very contrived here. We just sort of let it go, and whatever comes out comes out. So welcome to Keys to Life. My name is Matt Day, and this is the lovely talented Chris Andrew, who is wearing a very nice. Is that a new black shirt? I like no, it. No, you know, I've had it for a bit, but thanks for noticing and pointing that out. <laughs> my son took me to Zara yesterday and bought me a bunch of new clothes. Well, I had to buy the clothes, but he got this stuff. I said, here, I'm going to give you $100 that I am not allowed to say no to. Like I have to, you know, something within that range. So he bought a couple of things to know you got to have these pants and stuff. And I don't know. I'm, I'm too old to, to look that cool, but it was pretty cool. So you got your son to dress you? Well, he went with me and he picked stuff out and he said, no, yeah, no. He just hand me stuff. So he kind of dressed you. He kind of dressed me, actually. Yeah. Wow. Now that you look at it like that, but he's a cool dresser. You know, well, your kid, your kid's, uh, your son is uh, probably dresses cool. He's in that industry. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's got a he's got a cool vibe, definitely. But you're sure. cool. You kind of have a cool thing. You got the ripped jeans thing going on. You look kind of yeah for different reasons <laughs> that, that these I can't afford uh, to buy new ones. Oh, that's right. We're piano players, so it uh, <laughs> these actually are old. But students will ask that. They're like, man, it's pretty hip. You got the... No. <laughs> it's not what you think. These are these are earned ripped. <laughs> They're not like store-bought ripped jeans. Like, I earned these. Why? Because I've had these jeans for five, six years and worn them every second day. That's you, what's happened. you got them at Value Village five or six years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for 10 bucks. But they were good jeans, no rips. The ever frugal, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you're you're even more frugal now because you don't even buy your own coffee anymore. Like you come to my house and kind of saunter in. And I think that's a good... When I worked in Jasper and I had this gig out there, there was always signs that says, don't feed the bears. And I used to ask, but why can't you feed the bears? Well, the bears get used to being fed and they don't fend for themselves. That's what's happened to you. I am uh, the bear in this story. You know, <laughs> you, you know, and the next step, logical step is I'm just going to show up at your house in the morning. So even when we're not doing this, I'm just going to walk in the house and just kind of vibe you out until you give me coffee and then I'll drive away. Get my dog all fired up. Yeah, that was the first time that... And I let her go at you today too. I didn't even stop her today. I'm like, you were on your own with my dog. Yeah, but yeah. that's never happened before. Where she freaked out? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you're bringing some kind of vibe. Did you have... I don't know. She sent something, man. Yeah. Uh, so Jasper was a good gig. We were 12 years out there. And um, man, it was just, you know, we'd play six to 10 every night, six days a week. We had Saturdays off because we used to come into town for weddings. So Saturdays come back in, even though it was a busy day in Jasper, it's a tourist town. But we're fly fishing and playing all the time. And other than the pianos going out of tune, now you played in Banff yes. for a, a bunch of, a couple of months, three months or something like that. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was a wonderful uh, vocalist Melanie Dation and her husband um, up there. They had the house gig, so it was the same nice. kind of setup where it was it was seven nights a week. Uh, initially, I think when the gig started, it had been going for years and years and years. It was year round, yeah. And there was an older generation that did it, but when they took it over, it was I believe from either the start of May to the end of October. Nice. Seven nights a week. And so what they did, which I thought was really cool, is they would hire, uh, and the, the first time I did it, it was quartet. So there was a drummer, 
And so they would bring in different rhythm sections. Oh, I thought you did solo. You didn't do solo piano. No, it was oh. with a, it was with a, nice, a yeah. band, which was great. Sweet. So they would do, uh, so then they would bring all these piano players from Toronto. They would bring in piano players like I did it. Uh, Andrew Glover would go up there. I think Bill Richards did it as well. Um, but it was, it was great. Sweet you gigs. Know? Yeah. Accommodations. We were in staff housing, which kind of sucked. Yeah. We had staff housing too, but they just built new staff housing. So it was brand new. And we, we started in 2000 or two, yeah, 2001, 2000. And it was brand new, brand new furniture, brand new everything. So it was pretty good. And did you get meals? We had, uh, yeah, there was like a staff, like it was massive. Oh, like I you know. go into the basement yeah. of the, uh, Bab Spring Hotel, and they they had it down to a routine. So you had like these meal cards, meal you, cards you yeah. could use. Our first year, we got there. We had duty meals, which was I mean, you could have a meal in any restaurant, anytime, any time of day. It didn't matter. So you could have breakfast wherever. It doesn't matter. So we'd finish our gig. We'd go down to the cafeteria before our gig, and then after we're done our gig, we'd go down, order wings, order like these ice cream. Like it didn't matter. You couldn't have booze. That was not. You had to pay for that. But we ate and we put on so much weight. So the next year, they're like, you can't do that. So it gives us a 50 card. So you could go to any restaurant still and 50%. So, you know, when you go to those hotels, they're like $27 hamburgers. There's now, you know, 13 or 14 bucks. Yeah. But, and we still had the cafeteria. So we ate, ate like kings. It was amazing. Wow. We had access to tennis courts and uh, golf was like, I think, a half price golf or some crazy thing. Wow. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. I'm not a great golfer, but they all don't that do, stuff. They don't do that anymore, right? The golf or music out there? The music out yeah, there. Yeah, they do. Now, they had a guy named Morley Fleming that was there kind of when we were. So we were there about the same amount of time. And then we left. They swapped us out or they or they stopped Trio for a while. And they brought in a, a singer-songwriter guy, so like a single. And I think it was a good move. I think that his vibe is pretty cool. It gets people kind of involved. So now I think when you walk through there, he's got a little stage and stuff. And they took the piano player, uh, I think, out as well and brought in a guy once in a while. So, um, so kudos to any hotels that... You're doing live Still music. Do yes. Supporting yeah. live music. Thank you so much for that. We don't, uh, well, we had that Atlas gig. We've talked about that a few times. Atlas uh, was a steak and fish restaurant here. Yeah, in I missed that, man. Yeah. That was, a, that was a great gig. That was a great gig. So when you're in Banff, any injuries at all? Did you? Oh, yeah. Because you're in the mountains that you're bound to get. Yeah, I got into a, a mountain bike, a mountain bike issue or situation where, uh, I went down a hill that I shouldn't have gone down and f fractured my wrist and then didn't realize I did that. Went to the gig. My hand started, my left hand started ballooning up and uh, Brutal. got through the gig. And uh, actually, I think they were like, Chris, just go to the hospital. We've, we'll play the rest. Of the, and I'm like, no, I'm finishing the gig. Like this stubbornness. Hell yeah. Went to the emergency in Banff and yeah, it was fractured. And I... Uh, had to do the gig, I think it was three weeks with a fractured wrist. And did it slowly kind of get better, the pain over the next? Yeah, like I'd, I would use it sparingly, but the, the, uh, the I would spend a lot of time just using my right hand for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I remember this one guy came up and at the end of the night, one of the gigs, and he was like, yeah, man, I like your playing, but, you know, like, just seems like you could be doing more. Like it just, there was something missing. And I just, like I raised my hand and it was in a cast and he's like, oh, gotcha. Okay. That makes sense now. There's not a lot of people though that could pull off 
playing one hand. You know, you, there are, you could. Man, and I wish I had this on video. There's a great New York piano player named Dave Kokoski. And he, we were opening for... He was playing with uh, Roy Haynes, legendary drummer. Yeah. We did Calgary and Edmonton with Ken Sangster, his group. This guy broke his right arm, full on broke it, complete cast, couldn't use it at all. Brutal. He did the whole gig with his left hand. And I, I can't even describe it. Like you would never have known. Well, if you're just comping, but as soon as you got to play a melody and, and so, oh man. Oh, he incredible. was soloing with his left hand. Like you never would have known. It was amazing. Insane. Absolutely amazing. Well, my right hand, I showed you my blisters because on, on Sunday night, my daughter came over for dinner with her boyfriend and we cooked, I cook, uh, I cook a really good chicken. I go to the, I go to the, um, we have a, a market here, if you're not from Edmonton, called the uh, Strathcona, Old Strathcona Market. And there's a Hutterite community and they buy, or they bring in these fresh chickens. The chickens just killed on Wednesday. And so I bought one of the chickens and I cook it in a cast iron and I put all this stuff in there. It turns out great. And you could have sear it and it's, it's a, it's a great way to do chicken. So I took it out of the oven just to check it. And you see the blisters on my hand. They're brutal. Yeah, they're brutal. Brutal. Bad, bad stuff. And that's my right hand. So, but I'll still be able to play as long as it doesn't get infected. If you do have an injury like that, you know, there is, you know, the worry of infection, of course, that um, can sit in. So I'll watch that. But a couple of years ago, I almost cut my right, this, I don't know what it is with this index finger, but I almost took it right off with a hedge trimmer. It was a friend of uh, mine. It was her shower, her baby shower. And, uh, and you were juggling. I was juggling. Yeah. Juggling the, the hedge trimmers. You know, which I is was, your thing, right? Like you, well, it you was got my, up to four, but. It was my thing. I think that's. Yeah. I kind of hedge my bets now with that. Yeah, yeah. So, but the the electrical cord was getting too close to the clippers, so I reached in, which you do, and it's still going, and it just boom, and blood is everywhere, and holding it, take it in, and the guy looks at me, and the thing says, uh, "What'd you do?" I said, "Hedge trimmer." He goes, "Yeah, okay," and just you know, gives me tetanus shot, zips me up, and I played the next day. I played the whole time. It was all, it was in it was in its band aid for I don't know a week at least and then yeah, it started yeah. but I wasn't I didn't touch a note with that for two weeks with the index finger so anyway you have to do what you got to do but yeah. in that pop environment I could you couldn't do it as a concert pianist though you couldn't there'd be no, no chance at hell but no. if you can improvise and you can kind of you're faking your way through uh stuff anyway so we should talk about that talk about um injuries and all that stuff and if you get injuries do you, do you talk to your students about how to you know, some preventative stuff and what do you oh, do if you get injuries? You do the first class and first year, I talk about that. Very proactive in trying to get them to become aware of how physical, like sitting down and playing piano yeah, all, you know, for hours. And a lot of them for, you know, maybe they would have, maybe they would play a fair bit. But now you're, maybe you're playing three hours a day and you come into school and you're practicing three hours a day and then you're in rehearsal. Yeah. Uh, like you could be going from, you know, it's, and they it, they range. Like on the low end, someone would play a half an hour a day. So now that person going from a half an hour to all of a sudden four hours, Yeah. there's going to be some, some tension building up and just For sure. giving them tools to be self-aware of it at the very least and be take note of it. Cause the, the I mean, I, I don't know about you, but when I was young, I probably ignored a lot of it and now I'm paying for it. Yeah. Where I could have been like, I know I felt pain and I know I've 
but then I just pushed through it and then the pain would go away. Didn't really deal with it, the, the issue and the way I was playing or approaching things. So definitely getting them to be aware of it, giving them tools uh, on how to be proactive in, in dealing with it. it. Yeah, it's huge. Well, I think that that's got to apply to anybody listening, whether you're a musician or not. If you're a, an artist, a painter, whatever you do, you're in construction, anything. You're sitting as a lawyer a long time at desk, all of that. I think there's got to be a way that you just say, you know, before, when I get in my office, I do three or four minutes. I've got this little routine. Um, I notice my hamstrings. I'm sitting for a long time. They get tight. I pull stuff in my legs. I pulled something in my calf the other day, and they said, well, it's because your hamstrings are are too tight when I was running. So I think there's a way that we can all in, a, in whatever industry we're in, take those, make sure you take those mental breaks, physical breaks, do some prep. And when you're done, like when you're done your day, like to mentally unwind, physically unwind, yeah. do a little bit, do something, do I mean, I've, I do that cold stuff. I love that cold shower stuff. I find that really helps a lot. Any inflammation just, just it's my back is way better after doing that. I just, I do that a lot. So yeah, I, I like what you're saying. Like give them tools, Regardless of the industry, you might be listening and you're a painter right now. Well, you know, you're standing your arms up in a certain position for a long time, figure out what to do. But I want to get back to your your uh, injury. Not, I don't want to, you know, have you come up with uh, or bring up bad, you know, bad memories. But how explain more like your, your mountain biking. Like, why would you, what, what was the, what was the okay. lure? What was the lure? I Chris? was ego. Ego was, I got in a conversation with uh, a friend of mine who uh, was an avid, she was an avid mountain biker. And I got a bit cocky with it. And I was making a statement like, hey, if you are a good, if, if you're great at this sport, like you should be able to take like a, like a, an average bike and be able to do certain things. Uh, not to the full extent of what you could do with like a fine-tuning bike, but she's like, oh, okay, let's, okay. And so she took me to this hill. And by that but time... But you're committed. You're, there's no back. There's no, now. I can't back out. No. And I'm like, I was stubborn that way. Like, okay. Thinking that she was going to do the hill too. And this hill was ridiculous. And I made it 15 feet and then just, I don't know how far I went down, but it was not good. And my bike literally looked like uh, a car had driven over it, carried my bike up. And I'm like, okay, your turn. And she's like, not a chance. Are you kidding me? This is a pro hill. Have you seen downhill bikes? They're off. I mean, they're, oh yeah. That low seat. I mean, the whole, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. It was not a good, it was a good lesson for me to, just know when to stop talking. That's funny you say about ego because musicians and ego, that's normally, they, those two things don't normally go together. We're generally pretty ego free, right? We're generally, yeah. Uh, I don't ever recall my ego getting in the way when I'm playing at all. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm just so chill. People walk in the room, doesn't matter. I'm just so even all the time. Yeah. I don't react. Yeah. That's a big, that's a whole podcast by itself. Maybe we should do that today a little bit. The ego. Yeah, talk about the ego. Well, we got other stuff. We got. To, I want to talk about risk uh, a little bit. We talked about that and and injury. We don't want to. You don't want to risk. You don't want to injure yourself um, through risk. But sometimes that happens. But also risk in other parts of our life. But go back to maybe we should do that. Play a little bit about like the tunes. What were the tunes? When was that? In the two thousands, you were out there. 
Like this is the 2000s. Do you know I'm talking? Yeah, you know mid, I mean? like early, probably 2005 ish. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so we're I was in Jasper then, and you were in. We were both holding down those Fairmonts. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Now we're doing a podcast. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of weird. Trippy. So I'm going to play a little bit, and maybe you should play a little bit of the, the classic tunes that we had to know. Now, we were probably more of a pop, jazz, contemporary duo. Were you guys, did you do that too, or were you more jazz? Uh, the, Definitely, probably, yeah, definitely more jazz, but there were pop tunes yeah. in there done more did you uh, ever, jazz influence. Did you ever learn uh, Still Call Australia Home? For the Aussies? No, I oh, did not. that was the killer. The Aussies would come in and uh, they, they say, hey, guys, play us a tune, guys. Is that an Australian accent? I don't know. It's actually not bad. It's don't not bad do it again. Bad. Just yeah. stick with that. My daughter's in New Zealand right now. And they, she's, uh, I, I dared her to say, yeah, I'm Dan Ende. Don't say that to the people in New Zealand. It doesn't work. Uh, so if you're Kiwi, we didn't mean to offend you in any way. But these Aussies would come in tons of tours and you had Aussie tours out there too. And they'd say, you know, play us a tune. And so we'd always play Waltzy Matilda. And one year a guy came out and says, you know, guys, you probably get that tune a lot. And we get that a lot. Try this one. And he said, listen to Peter Allen is, it was a, an amazing pianist musician that was sort of an icon, like a David Foster to us in Australia. And Peter Allen had written this song. I still call Australia home. And to this day, if you play it for Aussies who are away from home, it's a pretty emotional thing. It actually wow. became the the theme song for Qantas Airlines for their ads for a while. So it almost became like the the national anthem of Australia. Wow. But going from Waltzy Matilda all the time, it was almost like, come on, guys. It was like playing the good old hockey. If we, if we go somewhere, yeah, yeah, we play yeah. that song. But we play this tune, and man. So we'd have to find all the songs that, you know, someone's coming in from the States. New York, New York, good old Cape Cod. All these tunes were really important depending on where they're from. And we had a lot of, uh, when we first started, we had a lot of Japanese tours. And so we learned, um, we learned some Japanese tunes as well. Uh, it was really cool. It was so cool to be able there to was, learn. Yeah. There was that one, uh, in, uh, was it Boys to Men or one of those bands? Oh, yeah. Took the melody for it that was like a traditional sukiyaki might have been that might i think yeah, that's that why aren't we singing more listen to us but like it just came it's up just so the naturally. tone that yeah. i have it's tone and pitch for me unbelievable yeah. i think it's overrated but yeah so the, so they did that they did a did a version of that that was a big big song it almost sounded like you were you were making fun of the music but you really weren't that was that was the no. style a lot of that music comes from asia uses that pentatonic scale which has a really distinct uh, sound to it that comes that comes out pretty naturally but yeah learning so i'm gonna zip over there and then why don't you play some tunes for me as well that uh i'm gonna change these microphones um that were like common like the common tunes that we would uh have to do so i'll play a bunch and then you go play a bunch okay you, you be the guest i'll be the guest. You be the guest you're sitting at the table it's nice having this mic over here by the piano can you hear that it sounds great, man. Yeah, so we would do some, um, yeah, we do. A little bit of jazz stuff, but for sure. Um, Frank Sinatra. See if the New York folks are out there. They want to dance. They're going to dance to that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a big one. 
Kids come in. Beauty and the Beast. There you go. And then once in a while, young kids would come in. So now everyone says that is uh, Gangster's Paradise, but that's actually from a Stevie Wonder album. Pastime Paradise. Pastime Paradise, and it was a ripoff. Uh, this was a good one for um, younger crowd that would come in. A lot of Elvis. Um, getting emotional, Chris. Tearing up, tearing up here. Yeah, so that was most. That was a lot of the stuff we do is around uh, around that stuff. Uh, did you notice yeah. the tunes change though? Like over. In 2000, a lot of those folks that were coming in, let's say they were 80 years old or 70 years old. I mean, you go back that far. Those tunes switched a lot. Like now, those the, the, those tunes, those standards are, are changed. Like they wouldn't have that same appeal. The whole crowd is they're wanting they're wanting uh, stones and eagles, right? All yeah, that stuff 100%. Now. And it sounds like the setup that you guys had there was a bit... Like we did get requests... It was all requests for us. We just so but, much. Uh, it sounds like you guys were more locked into that. Yeah, we we go to the tables every break. Yeah. Walk the tables and got which a lot. Is, of, which is smart. Which is great. And, and built our repertoire. When we started in Jasper, we had eighty tunes. That was our repertoire. It was eighty songs that we knew. Real book, whatever. We left there with over you know twelve hundred songs yeah. that we would we would cycle through. Um, and got into it was kind of fun because people would. You know, say, well, guys, do you know this? And with that, we'd get into AC, even ACDC. Um, right? Highway to Hell and stuff. Yeah. People were, and just do a version of that because for a lot of those folks, they just couldn't believe that you would, first of all, want to play that, but also stylize it for a jazz kind of feel or a, a dining room kind of feel and make it sort of fun that way. So Smoke on the Water. Do that and do a nice jazz version. Yeah. Our bass player Glenn Dirksen was great at doing arrangements. He would take these tunes and he just pour over these songs and make really nice arrangements. Of nice, them. yeah. And then we always had some classical, um, well, Baroque, those kind of tunes. There was, you know, a handful. And I figured if you always had a handful of tunes, but one night I got to tell you this one story. This guy came in from uh, from New York and he looked like a mafia guy. He must have known because there's about twelve people at the table. <laughs> He looks like this mafia kind of guy, and he's got the accent. I don't know if he puts it on, but he looks like that guy that is some in some of the De Niro movies. I mean, he's just typecast, right? And he must have known because he comes over to me and says, uh, "You guys play the rose like this? Like, you play the rose? Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah, you know, bet the rose? I'm like, yeah, we can play." So we played the rose, and then he comes. That's pretty good. Uh, he says, "Now play the Godfather theme for me." Like he's talking like this. I'm like, "You kidding me?" And at the table's looking over at us. I'm like, "We don't know." He goes, "You don't know the Godfather theme?" I'm like, "No, we don't." Don't know that song, man. He literally said, "Yeah, forget about it. You know, don't worry about it." I said, "No, we'll learn it." So I go out to the to the lobby, and and Morley is a piano player out there. I said, "Morley, you got to give us the music for Godfather." So I, I, he photocopies it, and not illegally, he legally photocopied the music for us. There you and, go. And uh, so the and the guy stood up and he goes, "There it is!" In front of the whole room, there it is. Comes over and gives us like fifty dollar tip. Nice. Like, and we're really excited about the the tip. And then he says, how much are the CDs? I said, they're 15 bucks. Because I mean, if I get I get three CDs, it's going to be 45 bucks. I'm like, 
Yeah, he goes, are you, are you kidding me? And he does this whole routine. And he then he puts his arm on my shoulder. He goes, I'm just playing with you, man. I'm just playing with you. Here's the money. You guys are great. So like for an hour, he was playing up this whole thing. The tables laugh and think it's a big deal. We had a great time for the rest of the night. But yeah, I yeah. thought, dude, if we don't play the the music for this guy, we're going to be... Uh, we're going to be in trouble. I heard this song. This is a big one we did. Nice. It's from Arthur, Arthur's theme. Christopher Cross, I think, sang that song. Uh. Yeah. That was Dudley, Dudley Moore in that. He's Dudley great. Moore. Great yeah. pianist. Okay, let's swap. You come over and do some of the tunes that you would have done. So, yeah. So Banff was uh, more of a jazzy environment then. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely... Um, definitely some pop-esque or pop tunes, but done a little more creatively. Yeah. You know, so you, you might get like time after time instead of like the original way you might get like more like they might arrange it with like a bass ostinato um is ostinato like is that like a pasta i'll have the ostinato be. with uh, parmesan it is now it is now it is now we yeah, just it's like, it's like the same pasta for minutes yeah i uh i just tm'd that but a lot of it would be like yeah. uh, standards. Yeah, take us back to uh, August night at the Bam Springs Hotel. And uh, it's 8 o'clock at night. We're coming in. The sun's still up in the sky because it's Alberta. But you walk in and sit down at your table, and this is what you get. To you just knew the one. More, you guys just knew the one song. We just did one that tune. One tune. But if you play it like that, you could play one song. It sounds beautiful. Yeah, and then we do, we do. We just play the whole song in different. In different style. Yeah, that B that B note rings out there. But yeah, it was kind of all over the map. We there would be New we York, had a lot. New York, New York. You got to give us your New York. You had to have done it. Oh no! Actually, after after you uh, stopped playing with Frank Sinatra, you probably never played it again, right? No, yeah, it was definitely banned from my brain. But there would be there was way more opportunity within the tunes. It's not like we didn't stretch out, but there was uh, like soloing. Nice. That would happen, but you know, not like at a at a jazz gig where you would open things up. Right. Um, what was the? Vanessa. Yeah, uh, Williams or something. Williams. That, uh, so there was the best for last. Yeah. Yeah. So that would. We did that. We did. did people dance in those days? Did they you get dancers? No, we were kind of set up in, there was an upper lounge 
Oh. And we were kind of at the, the bottom of the stairway, stairwell. Okay, so like it wasn't a, a dining room setting per no, se. No, no, it wasn't. It was like people would walk through. Sweet. That's so it was cool. pretty... It was cool because you definitely have people up there listening. Yeah, yeah so you're not but, walking around asking requests anyway. You don't have no. to yeah. work that up. What's a favor? What's If someone is going to get a gig in a hotel, someone gets called tonight, one of your students gets called, what are five tunes that got to know? Probably, well, you would actually know this better, but like any of the... No Billy Joel, no Elton John. No, John yeah. no. Those, those are becoming the new standards in a sense, yeah. aren't they? And they're great tunes. They're they're fun to play for pianists. Yeah. Because um, we went from, we would have gone from 2000 would have been, you must remember this, Kiss is still a kiss. Those kind of tunes to, by the time we were finishing up there, the Eagles tune, so we'd, we'd exchange that for Hotel California or something. And it yeah. was that's a new standard and people still like the jazz, but they, the recognition wasn't as much. Um, you don't sit under the apple tree with anyone else, but me, that was a great song in 2000. There were still people that knew that tune. Yeah. But by the time we finished up and even now it's, it's, I noticed that in the hospital too. You sing, you are my sunshine for what I would say as a senior, someone who's 75 or 70. Well, that's not even, I mean, that's a 1930s, 1940s type of song. That's not even their era. They're looking for the Elvis and yeah, and these did you you must have played some Elvis tunes a little bit? No, not there. No, I guess no, I guess no, not. I, guess, I keep thinking it's dining room. It's not dining room. Yeah, you can. Yeah. No, it was pretty. It was pretty creative. Like they they would add tunes, but it was. Um, yeah, it was. It, there weren't really many tunes you didn't look forward to playing. Yeah. And a lot of it was just creating, I think, creating a vibe for that um, that environment. So we could get away with, because it was casual, people were walking in and walking out. We definitely had the listeners up there, but up on the top, the second floor. But it was, you're creating this uh, this vibe. So we could get, I think, we could get away with playing tunes that, you so know. What I'm taking from that then is, you know your audience, know your event, know your venue, and play to that as well as you can. I mean, that's a whole different deal. If I would switched roles with you, I probably wouldn't have functioned as well in the jazzing, obviously. But you'd had to figure out what what that looks like, and you know, our yeah, restaurant and, demanded. And you remember this when the Atlas gig uh, started. Uh, I had those, that's not my, right. that wasn't my vibe. And I remember having conversations with you and I had to, you know, figure out how I was going to play these, these pop tunes and learn all these pop tunes, not in a band setting that I was used to, but learning the melodies and learning it very specific. Yeah. So it was a, it was a great learning experience for me where you had been doing that for 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 years and years and but the comment i got uh, you had a way you had a way of taking the tunes and i think devin hart did this well too is taking those tunes and um 
still honoring the mentally, but you, you tilt it in such a way that it, you know, I think you probably analyzed the room a little bit too, but it gave a real freshness. And I had some service come up and say, oh yeah, play this. One of them was uh, Justin Bieber, um, that Love Yourself tune. And I just play it straight. I just play the you know, version. I didn't do much. And then you, you did a couple of really nice uh, harmonic changes to it that they noticed and they really liked those things. So that helped me think outside the box a bit too and say, you don't have to just lift the tune that way. Um, put some put something to it. I don't know if you remember that, Justin. I, can't what I, I think I tried to keep like that. That the the natural rhythm. I think that's what I was trying to go for. Is I think you instead went, of like. trying to do like but you went to what key, what key are you in I, I wish I had perfect pitch I try to you I remember specifically you, you, just, you descended to one with the flat seven to the uh, to the sixth and then, and then the minor four over three or whatever it was all the way down that was that was the one change I, you I really liked like the way you lift da, da, da. it was beautiful sus with the three so you get this yeah that's big in that in that pop stuff yeah but I would try to I would try to bring the tunes into if there were a very rhythmic tune, I would try to, in a in that context, with it, without sounding too abrasive, I would try to have that that rhythm going to maintain the kind of the original. Keep that feel. Yeah, yeah. You have to keep some authenticity um, around it for two. You don't want people to, you know, freak out. Uh, I got to play what you show me because this is driving me crazy. It was so nice what you did, and I. I, I used it right away, so I'm gonna go back. See what I showed you? Yeah. I think I think I think I, I I did the original. You went. It was something like that. Yeah, that's great. And as soon as you showed me that, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I, I got to do that for sure. Uh, remember the artist would come into Atlas and then you had to play all the tunes? Did you ever have those nights? Like Paul McCartney would come to Roger's Place or... Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Like they have all the concert. Yeah, the concert all Fleetwood series, Mac would yeah. come in and do that stuff. Yeah, and then you would l learn... Oh. Or Coldplay would come in and you'd have to you learn have to do a, all the number of... What is that? Yeah. But there was one night when... Paul McCartney was there and I didn't have tickets to Paul McCartney. So I learned, uh, we learned so many Beatles tunes, right? So, um, we're playing that tune, let it be playing all these tunes. And at the end of the night, the place clears out cause they're going to go to Paul McCartney. And the manager comes up to me with two tickets and says, do you want to go? I'm like, you kidding? He goes, yeah, I got two tickets left. So I called my wife and said, Uber down here. 
And I just been playing all these tunes. So I had a bite to eat, waited for her. We came in about, he played for about three hours. Like he was, wow. he's 74 in amazing shape, full vegan. Like he's just, anyway, so he's playing. So we didn't miss, we didn't miss a lot. We got in anyway, we're sitting there playing. All the tunes are, are great. Band's great. And then he sends all everybody away. It's just him. He goes to the piano. He sits down. I like, I got goosebumps. I think, and I just played that song two hours ago and there's the guy playing it. Not just the guy, but the guy who wrote it is right down there. I'm watching him play the tune I played. I'm thinking, man, two people got to play Let It Be that night in Roger's place. And I got to play for the audience or, you know, 80 people. He got yeah, yeah. 18,000 people. But there, that, that moment of that's the dude. There was something so surreal about uh, what, what the Beatles did. And that guy's right there. Doing oh, this thing. for sure. It was very, very cool. For so, sure, man. Yeah, but all those bands would come in and we'd have to try and figure out the, you know, and some of it was like rock stuff that I didn't really, couldn't really do the heavy rock stuff, but the country stuff, you know. Blame it all on my roots. All the yeah, uh, yeah. Garth Brooks and all that stuff. Yeah. So, well, hopefully that gig comes back. Yeah. It'd be, I miss it just for that. Like getting into that routine of playing piano, we're actually learning talking, melodies. We're still talking to them about trying to figure out what that is. And there's just an issue, I think, with them restarting that business um, just to make that go. But again, live music, if you are a live uh, or a venue owner and you've supported live music, kudos to you. Yeah. You get big Chris Matt points for that because yeah. there's something about it. And I don't, and I get it. It's tough in a restaurant business to try to. Um, have the bottom line, right? Because your bottom line is yeah. is is what it is, and it's tough. But the casino is open. The casino's open, but and the match is open. Match is open. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're doing music in there though. I don't know, but uh, when I w did go to the game a couple of weeks ago, I noticed that, and for some reason, I didn't think match was open. But but at West Edmonton Mall, it's not. No. Yeah. Yeah. And Hallie's, I, I was walked through there yesterday. My son took me to buy these clothes at uh, the store. You know, anyway, we'll get back into that. But yeah, we walked by there and Hallie's, uh, if you're not from Edmonton, Hallie's was a pretty cool, pretty cool vibe club. And you ran that. Yeah, that it was great. For a couple I really miss that. Yeah. Uh, I three used to come a week. pop in and watch you guys after my set because Chris and I would play in one restaurant. I'd play in one and then down the hall, you have to go down this little open area. And then Hallie's was a minute walk. And it was nice to go in and, and check out what you're doing there. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, that much that much playing. Anytime you can play that much live, is amazing. You well, know? you just build up not only stamina, but just you. Yeah, if you're if you're not playing that those those tunes all the time, you're not really internalizing them. Yeah, and that was the beauty of that gig. Is every night you're sitting there, you're playing through those melodies, and you just. You learn how to phrase them better. You learn how to create with them. It was such a wonderful blessing, really, for the years that it did last. And gave a lot of piano players and younger piano players sure. in the scene yeah. that experience. You know? Yeah. Yeah, they so. got it was it was a goal. It was it was gold for that for sure. So yeah, hopefully that comes back and um, we do more of that. Yeah. But I hear the scene back in like the seventies in Edmonton and early eighties was really bumping with live music at so many venues and oh, it was people killer. Were, people were making yeah. all kinds of money. Yeah, so it was killer. I don't know the DMX and all that music that you can just pump in has has really helped. There's something about a live 
There's a human there because there's, what I like about that is there's risk. And I think people, it's like, you know, this is bad to say, but people go to an air show and they know they're going there with a the chance that there could be something and they still go knowing yeah. that. So that's not, not a great example, but we, we want to know that when we're in an environment, a bunch of things could happen and the piano player could be great that night. The singer could be really, whatever it is, there's something beautiful about a human. And I think we talked a little bit about the AI last time about yeah. can AI get into, can AI have a soul or a conscience that can feel when it's not on. And that's a beautiful thing too, is you having to battle through that. It's not pleasant as a musician, as you know, to have to battle through that tension of, you know, self-loathing as you play through it three hours of like, uh, I just want to go home. You ever have those nights that yeah, just yeah. want to go but home? I don't, yeah, back to that AI discussion. I don't think it'll, I mean, it'll take, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I mean, going back to Atlas, like sitting there, especially the one in uh, downtown where they had the, the piano and those seats right there. Yeah, for a while, yeah. For a while, and you would, uh, you'd be, they would be right up on you and they'd yeah, be looking right down. Yeah. Uh, it's some nights you'd have these like really good rapport. They'd, they'd request tunes. You're like, Oh man, I can fake my way. And you fake, they hear you fake your way through it and yeah. they can, they actually appreciate it. You fake and they're grateful. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're so, so grateful for it's, that. I don't know if AI, it, when it's going to hit that, but that's part of the, the lure and the, the beauty of it is you can have these dialogues and, this conversation while trying to give this request to the person. I remember people playing and asking a tune and they'd say that was the song they played at my son's funeral. Like, Whoa, that's heavy, man. And, uh, you just realize that just had a huge, like people, you know, in tears. Yeah. Um, that was our wedding song. My wife is, is sick or whatever. There was a lot of those stories and I don't know that you can say that to computer and the computer's going to care. Like it's not going to be the same. So no. there's, there's a beauty, beautiful part of that human, that human connection. Uh, you don't know if the guy's got a broken wrist or a fractured wrist, but he's yeah. going to play anyway. He's, he's cut off his finger with a hedge trimmer, but here he is. So we would talk a little bit about risk and I wonder if that's maybe we can wrap up, uh, risk, regardless of what industry you're in, uh, risk is, um, risk is tricky, but those that risk seem to get the reward in the end that those that don't, and you and I have talked about how we haven't risked in some, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Some of it was uh, real estate, different opportunities, you know, and we know musicians that, you know, a bunch come to mind right away that are great musicians. They're doing the gig, but they own a business. They own property. They rent home. They, they have this risky part to them that is kind of innate uh, within them. What is, what is that? Why, why do we risk or not risk or, why do you risk or not risk as a, as a, as a lawyer, as a pilot, as a, as a artist or a, a truck driver or something like that? What is that about? Yeah, I really wish I, I knew because I think it would unlock a whole bunch of uh, doors and opportunities. Right. But I think it comes down to just this fear of failure, fear of loss, and I'm pretty sure a lot of these these people that don't have that, they're not necessarily. They don't look at it they, that way. Like I will look at it as like it's end of the end of the days, like end of the world, soul crushing. They'll look at it like, okay, if I lose this money, you know what? I'll just go make some make, more. I'll make some more. You know yeah. and. If this happens, well, I'm going to downsize my house. 
we're going to move. It's going to be a pain, but then they deal with it. They adapt. Yeah. And then they make all this money and then they, they move again or they invest. So I think they just don't look at it as such a negative, devastating thing. They just, they react. They don't, a lot of them, I don't think go into it without thought. It's not like that. They do think about it, but then they don't overthink it. And, but why do some of us get hit so hard with negativity or criticism? And I'll give you an example. I, I had to, when I first started emceeing event, events, it was, I don't know, this might've been 2008. I was emceeing an event in Edmonton. And my brother, who was involved in politics in, in Canada for quite a while, had emceed it the year before. And some other people had emceed it before him. And he's pretty funny. He's a, he was an auctioneer. He's, he, does a, he does a great job. And he had done it the year before. So then I did it the next year with someone else. And I came out and a guy who had been at the event the year before came out to me and said, first thing he said, didn't say hello. He said, oh, you're not as good as your brother. You're not as funny as your brother or something like that. And I had wow. to go back out for the second half after the intermission. I was rocked. And even the co-MC said, you were messed up. I'm like, yeah, I would like, it hit my ego hard. I mean, I'm just being honest about how that was, you know, it was brutal. Maybe it was a family thing or, or cause we were both, I don't know what it was, but there's been times that, um, that I've had to really work through that. And then this, it's it sort of come full circle for me because I emceed an event here in Edmonton back in November. And uh, I was talking to the planning committee and they said, and Danny Hooper is doing the auction. Right. And I don't know if I said this to you before, but Danny Hooper, if you don't know Danny, he's a great auctioneer, very funny MC, talented musician, has been doing it for years, can hold a crowd. He's, the, he's great. He's like, I mean, he's the guy. Like if, I, if you had to go and play in front of someone and just... So I had to go MC this event knowing Danny was going to be at this event. And it actually turned out this event was at a church. It's actually the church that Danny goes to. I didn't know that. And so he was just there to do the auction. And I, I walk in. I'm starting to MC. I think, oh, there's Danny. I go sit down with him. But my attitude changed. I, it changed to fear, to respect and go, this, he's done it for a long time. So ask him questions. Learn, lean into him. Learn what you can. Yeah. You're not going to make him laugh as much as Danny. You're not going to be as slick as Danny. You can't auctioneer like Danny and you'll grow. And so I just sat down there. We had dinner at the same table. He's, oh man, doing a great job. He was so encouraging. Yeah. That's a, that's the thing about these, these guys. And my brother would have been encouraging to, to me. Whereas this other guy just, just destroyed my soul. So what a stupid thing to say. I know. It First was, of all, I mean, you know, I think people in that situation, they have no clue of how to use. Maybe he was trying to be funny. Yeah, I don't as know. far as you know, like if I if I knew you, and knew your brother, and went up to you and said, uh, "You're not as funny as your brother," you would take it a different way for sure. Because we know each other, and you know my sense of humor. Yeah, and it would play different. But these. A lot of people don't understand these subtleties and they'll go up to a stranger and say something like that that can have that kind of effect. And they don't they don't think of it the way that no. there's this disconnect, like, oh, I'm gonna be funny, I gotta go up. Or maybe he's just it was almost like a tread. He just says what he says, but he it's, just he just does it. 
Well, and so I think maybe the lesson we learned from that is, um, you know, be kind to those around you who are performing. They've come off the stage and you don't have to say, hey, you're the best thing ever. But you can say, hey, man, really enjoy it. When I played at the yard, I only ever did one of the two of those jams. I think I told you and Tommy Banks was there. Yeah. And he was so gracious. He came in and just shook my hand and said, hey, I really enjoyed what you did. Yeah. He didn't say you, you're the best piano player ever and you're going to rock the world. No. But he encouraged me to keep going and, and doing it. And there's a way to be honest with people. You don't have to lie to people. But there's a way to be honest with them and still encourage them without saying, yeah, your brother's way funny or, you you know, just leave you devastated well, yeah. for the if next. You, if you took that guy and put him on stage. Yeah, it might be a whole different. It would be a, an absolute gong show. Well, I brought up that quote by, I think it was Roosevelt who had this quote. Everyone sees this poster. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, but there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. I like that. What is that? Uh, no effort without error. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. There's no effort without error and shortcomings. You need that to grow. We've talked about that many times. So I think that's, yeah, this is beautiful. That's the risky part. Cause you said you had an uncle that owned a, a dealership or something. And yeah, he was always goes in and out of yeah, no yeah. fear at all. And you know, would hit rock bottom and it, you never would know. Maybe I don't know the family dynamic within that, of course, but, you know, then you just push up and then hit another peak. So, yeah. and, and not judging, not judging yourself as you go through that. Oh yeah. I'm living in a trailer for a week. Uh, my, a buddy of mine is a millionaire here in town and he had a big steel company and went broke two or three times and had to ask his brother for money bail. But he knew in his head, I think the thing is you keep the focus in your head and you know, I'm getting there. Yeah. I'm going to stumble, but I'm getting there. So Whole, if you're starting out in music, keep that focus. You know what that goal is and keep moving. So, And also equip yourself to you know, do what you do well. And so where you stumble, um, figure out how to, you know, how, how to excel at the things you're really good at and not let, the, uh, net, let your weaknesses trip you up as well. So yeah. empower yourself with your weaknesses. Not that you have to be, I don't have to become an accountant. I'm not great with that stuff. But I should be at the level where at least I can, you know, read a spreadsheet and do those things. And, yeah. and take care of that. So don't let your weaknesses trip you up and excelling your strengths, I think is maybe for sure maybe one area and encourage yourself, man. Like, how do you encourage yourself? Like you must have times where you're like, this is like, you're talking in one of the first podcasts about sitting there playing your, your, your CD release and thinking. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I think, uh, I'm constantly learning how to, to, to do that, to get yeah. better at that, where I don't beat myself up as much. And I, I take it for what it is, you know, that's, I think that's, that's important. Well, it's, um, we have a snowblower outside. That's that sound. So if you are now, everyone's going to know at what time of year we actually did this, uh, did this Gave podcast, but, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. You have a sense, um, of what it takes to move through the tricky stuff, but how, how about the other things in our life that we're not necessarily good at? We need to sometimes risk those things. So hats off to those of you who, um, are able to risk like my dad was one of those guys he could risk in lots of things but there's areas he didn't risk he wasn't always so vulnerable like he yeah. didn't always want to maybe risk uh close stuff with his with his family that might have been an area where he might have of course pulled, pulled back a little bit 
but that, you know, that could be the case. So, so risk and injury and, uh, what a podcast. Yeah. Didn't see that one coming. No, you didn't see that injury coming on that bike either. That day, no, you? I did not. I think you probably kind of knew. You probably kind of knew. You know, I knew something bad was going to happen, but yeah. I just, I couldn't let it go. I should have just went, you know what? Yeah. You're right. I'm a dumb. <laughs> I'm not the smartest guy, so, so I got to back away, but yeah. I but just. You, but you risk and you got a good story from it and you're, yeah. and you're here doing that, doing exactly the, doing the thing. Well, I'm going to let our snowblower wrap us up. But maybe if you played the piano, you would muffle the snowblower out. And then I will do a little wrap up. How does that sure. sound? Well, everyone, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Um, we are going to wrap up. Our snowblower is cutting us short, just short of an hour. But that's okay. And uh, maybe Chris can take us home. Why don't you play, uh, take us to the Banff Springs Hotel. Take us to the Banff Springs. And uh, yeah, what would you, how would you wrap us up? So imagine the Bam Springs Hotel, it's a summer night and there's Chris and his uh, trio, quartet, playing some beautiful tunes. Um, we talk about risk and we talk about injury today and sometimes those will always go together. Sometimes your ego is going to get injured like mine got injured with uh, the comment that guy made that day. And maybe uh, that injury is okay because you'll learn something from it. You don't want to do something so risky that uh, you end up really hurting yourself. Um, but at the same time, I would suggest, you know, push to the level that you feel comfortable with and uh, try those things that are scary. Try those things that you um, you worry about and just see what happens if you push beyond, especially if you're a, a young uh, musician starting out or a young artist or new in your job, that you would just take those opportunities that come uh, your way and go, you know, I'm going to try it. And I remember times where someone said, hey, could you speak at this event? And I would just say yes, even before I had something written. Just because that's, you know, part of what we need to do is just pushing a little bit and we get those results. And uh, there's no effort. There's no uh, effort without, uh, without mistakes. And I love that quote from Roosevelt. And I hope you got a lot out of the podcast today. And I hope you are uh, challenged to think of what a risk might look like in your life. What's something coming up for you that is challenging and you might just say, hey, you know, this time I'm going to say yes. I'm going to push ahead. So this is Keys to Life. And this is our eighth podcast. This is the end of January, January 31st. I think we're doing this. Chris is lovelily uh, covering up our snowblower outside who does a great job. And uh, I could listen to this for a little bit. So I'm just going to let Chris roll with this. And thanks so much for listening, everybody. My name is Matt Day. And on the piano is Chris Andrew. Chris Andrew.